0: Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. So glad you're here. Welcome to Union Chapel. Uh, We are starting this series this morning on stewardship. We're calling it All In. Today, I want to talk about first things first. Uh, As our children, these beautiful children, have helped us understand this is a complex concept, not easy to understand. So I hope today's message and the next few messages will be meaningful to you, perhaps provocative, I hope inspiring. So we've chosen as our text this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to read the first 15 verses of Deuteronomy 28. And let me just add this caveat that um, this is not an entry-level kind of message today. It's a it's very substantial teaching. Uh, I've walked with Jesus now for over 45 years. And this is something that Beth and I have learned and have applied to our own lives with great effect, and I hope that I can encourage you to uh, consider taking the next step in this journey of stewardship and going all in with him. So today from Deuteronomy 28, this is Moses now talking to the nation, and he's restating or he's rehearsing aspects of the law, God's expectations for the nation, and in this particular case, the blessing of God, which will come as they obey God and his uh, expectations for them. So If you have your Bibles open, you can turn to Deuteronomy 28. Otherwise, we'll project these words, and our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, invite you to do that. And Moses said, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you an oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom." Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Now, one more verse, verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Now, there's a whole list of curses that follow, but we're not going to read those. Those are not... Those are not pertinent to us. We are the people who are blessed. How many of you want to be blessed of God? I do too. And so we'll hang on to God's blessing. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Let me just define being blessed, what that means. The blessing of God is when you have the supernatural presence, protection, provision of God working in your life. The supernatural provision of God. that's that's when you are blessed. How many of you want to have God's blessing? You want want the blessing. The other side of the coin, though, is being cursed. These are the two options that Moses was giving the people then, and we still have these options to us available today. Either we are consecrated to God or we are accursed. And, And Moses reminded the people, as we are reminded now, that the curse of God is also the supernatural presence and work of God against your life. Now listen, you don't have time for that. You don't want God working against your life. No, you don't. And so we want to prefer the blessing. Let me show you a few verses from Deuteronomy. One is Deuteronomy 14, 29. Bring in the tithe so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, the widows, the orphans and widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. Now, why care for the poor? So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Look at Deuteronomy fifteen ten. Give generously to him that is your needy brother and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Look again at Deuteronomy 23.20. You may charge a foreigner interest but not a brother Israelite so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. Do you you notice a trend? (laughs) There's the opportunity in obedience to receive God's blessing so that everything we touch, everything we put our hands to, will be blessed. How encouraging is that? Let me just remind you that nobody's a natural-born giver. You are not, I'm not. We're all born with this nature to be selfish. Our tendency as people who are inheritance of a sinful nature from our father Adam, we are all inclined to be selfish, not selfless. Now God, on the other hand, he is by nature a giver. He's very generous. most popular verse in the entire scripture is John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let's look at some of these things and see if we can learn from what God is teaching us from this very important blessing uh, lesson in Deuteronomy 28. On your outline you'll see three ideas, three points. I want you to write these words down. They're very, very important today. The first one is this the word firstborn one word, firstborn. Write that down You see associated with that Exodus 13, and it says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey or some other unclean animal, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall sacrifice it. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, let me explain what's happening here. According to the Old Testament law, the firstborn was to either be sacrificed or redeemed. Now, understand the concept. This is the theology, the understanding, the principle of first things. God is teaching his nation, his people, that the firstborn of whatever animal in your flock has given birth, or even your own wife, as, as the woman for the first time gives birth, that, that that child needs to be redeemed. And so it is true with the firstborn of the animals, either sacrificed or redeemed with the sacrifice of another animal. So that first things, firstborn. Belong to God. Now you remember John the Baptist was baptizing some folks one day and he saw Jesus from a distance and he paused and he raised his finger and he pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was a very, very powerful statement and perfectly defined the role Jesus would come to fulfill. We are all born unclean, we're all blemished, we're all imperfect and therefore need to be redeemed. Jesus, on the other hand, is a perfect, uh, unblemished lamb. As John described him, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus then was sacrificed on our behalf, therefore redeeming us. See how it works? See how the connection is made? And, and so Jesus literally is a first fruits, a firstborn offering that God has sacrificed in order to redeem us. How many of you are thankful for that? We've been redeemed by the precious, spotless Lamb of God. It's really wonderful. Now, let me, let me uh, then put this statement on the, on the screen. Very important. The principle of the first fruits is very, very powerful. I was tempted to put very up, you know, 30 different times in bold caps. Very, very, I cannot overstate this. I cannot overemphasize this. This is a, this is a principle that I have learned in my life, and I want to give it to you because it is so powerful. It is so transformative. This principle is, is absolutely dynamic in its effect in people's lives. And it's simply that the principle of first things, first fruits, is very, very significant. I've heard it said this way, that any first thing that you give is never lost. Hear that. Any first thing you ever give is never lost. But any first thing that you withhold is always lost. Say it another way. Any first thing that you give to God, your time, your gifts, your money, any other assets you have, any first thing that you give to God is never lost. But any first thing that you withhold from God is always lost. That's the principle that's at work here. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said it this way, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you see how the principle carries out in all of life, the general process of life? My point is simply this, first things belong to God. First things, first of everything. We give the first of our time, the first of our day, the first of our week, the first of our time. We can give the first of our talents and abilities. We can give God whatever capacity that he has gifted us with, we give that first to him. Whatever financial resources that come into our hands, we recognize God as the owner of first things. He comes first. Let me put this next statement on the screen. It's very important. It's in direct association. It's always, it always requires faith to give the first. Always requires faith to give the first. Now think about the flock owner who does not know how many more lambs that first ewe might produce. See, God didn't say to the shepherd, listen, uh, that lamb, if it produces 10 sheep, you can have the first nine, I'll take the 10th. That's not what God says. What God says to the shepherd is the firstborn, the first time the womb is open in that ewe lamb, that lamb that is, that, that is born into the, into the world belongs to me. Now, the shepherd doesn't know if that ewe lamb's ever going to produce another little lamb which he has no idea and so he has to operate by faith that if he gives god the first fruit the first born then he trusts god to redeem all the others that are yet to be born sometime in the future and so by faith he has to trust god that way that's why so few christians actually experience the blessing of tithing That's why so few go all in on this. It it means giving to God before you see if you're going to have enough. It means giving God the first thing, not knowing for sure if there will be enough left over to meet all of the need. That's why tithing becomes so important because it's the primary way that we acknowledge that God is first, first place in our lives. It's the same with coming to church. We come to church the first day of the week on Sunday. That's that's why, we, that's why we give God the first of our time when we come together for corporate worship. It ennobles us. It enables us to be encouraged and to be, uh, and to be uh, inspired and to, and to feel God's presence and to, and to share in the community of faith. It's so important that, that you do that because it's part of the first fruit that you give to God. You say, you know, I go to church, sometimes I don't go to church because, you know, I don't have time, can't fit it in. And besides, my schedule gets really packed, and, and I really, you know, if, if, I, if I go to church, that's a couple hours it, take, it takes out of my schedule and I lose stuff on the back end. Now, wait a minute. What the Bible teaches us, and it's a very, very powerful thing, is if we give God the first place, that we trust him then to redeem everything else. So if I give him time on the front end, what we do is we trust god to actually give us more time on the back end he'll redeem the rest it's interesting to note that that so many people think that the first of the week is monday you know that's the day we you know go back to work we make some deals make some money you know make some progress other people think that friday is the biggest day of the week you know that's when i can relax and get away from it and you know party a little bit with my friends have a good time Historically, traditionally, Saturday is actually the Sabbath day. That's when the Jews of the world have always worshipped. On Saturday, the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Adventists and some other groups worship on Saturday. But for most Christians, we worship on Sunday. And Why do we worship on Sunday? I'll tell you, it's following the pattern of the New Testament first century church. And the reason they worshipped on Sunday is because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So they wanted to be people of the resurrection. And that's why they worship on Sunday. That's why we gather on Sunday, because we're people of the resurrection. Can I get an amen there? That, that's why we get together on this day, the first day of the week. This is the day Jesus got on up and rose from the dead. And so we give God this first day. It's what we do. Now, in your outline, here's the second thing. I want you to write this down. First is firstborn. Next is first fruits. One word, just write first fruits. Note the associated verse. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So it's the first of the first fruits. It's not the 10th portion of your first fruits. It's the first portion of your first fruits. Look with me on the screen at Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It says, honored the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty your vats will overflow with new wine. Now some of you will remember that the first city that the Hebrews conquered when they went into the land of promise, the land of Canaan, under Joshua's leadership, was the city of Jericho. You Remember the walls fell flat and it was, a, it was quite, quite a dynamic. And God told Joshua that all of the spoils from Jericho, before they even went in to conquer it, said, now before you, when you conquer Jericho, God told Joshua, here's what I want you to know. All of the spoils from the city, all the silver, all the gold, all the stuff, all the valuables belong to me and to my house. And no one is to take any of the spoils out of Jericho for themselves. It all belongs to me. So God made it clear to the whole nation when Jericho falls It all belongs to the Lord. Now, here's my question in the context of this message today. Why would God want to take all of the spoils from Jericho? The answer is clear. It's obvious. You all get it. It's because Jericho was the first city that was conquered. And then God said about all the other cities that would be conquered, you guys can have all that other stuff you want. But the first one belongs to me. This is very powerful. This is very important. It's huge. It's a a big, big, big deal. It's very important. Now in Genesis 4, verses 3 and 5, there's another interesting account. Some of you will remember this. This is about the first two brothers, Cain and Abel. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat... And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering made Cain really angry. And for centuries now, people say, well, why did did God accept Abel's sacrifice, his offering, but he didn't accept Cain's? And I think the answer to the question is right in the text. The Bible makes it a very clear point to tell us that the offering that Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock. But it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits of his crop. And so because Abel recognized the important principle of the first fruit, God accepted his offering but rejected Cain. Now there's a lesson in here for us. God is looking at our hearts when we give. God is looking at our attitude. God is looking at our motive. God cares about what we care about when it comes to giving. Uh, And God... God will bless us and meet us and favor us and incline himself toward us when he knows that our heart are for him. Very, very important. Here's the third thing. I want you to write this down in your outline. It's it's the word tithe, T-I-T-H-E, tithe. Now, with all of my heart, I want you to understand something. My wife Beth and I will celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary this year, and for 40 years, all of our married lives, we have been people who give a tithe of our income, at least 10%. Uh, in 2016, uh, we, and what I'm about to say in a moment, you, you'll have context for this, I haven't run all these numbers yet, but somewhere between 20 and 25% of our income we gave to kingdom causes in 2016. That's, that's just been our pattern. All these years. And let me tell you why. It is not because we want to follow the rules and somehow check off the box that I've obeyed God in this area of giving. You know, I made my deal with God. This is, this is not about a cold-hearted, steely-eyed, cash-on-the-barrel-head negotiation with God. It's not a, it's not a business contract. What our our giving reflects in our lives has nothing to do with being a good little boy, good little girl. It has everything to do with our relationship with God, our desire to communicate to God that He is first place in our lives, that we want to extend to Him gratitude and appreciation and honor and worship, and priority. We want God to know that he's the most important thing in our lives, and this is simply a reflection of him being first, first place. So that our time, our gifts, our talents, our finances, our family, our worldview, our orientation is all about putting God first. Because we want God to have that place in our hearts. Jesus summarized it beautifully in Matthew six twenty one. He said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So giving for us is just an opportunity to express what's already in our heart. It's never about the money. It's just, it's just about what we treasure most. And our relationship with Jesus is what we treasure more than anything else way more than anything else. And so this isn't following the rules for us. This is life for us. I don't know how to describe this except that this is just a means by which we we invite the activity of God's power and presence in our lives. We, We invite the percolation of God's ongoing work, activity, presence, peace, power, provision, In our lives, we invite the blessing of God through the relationship we have with God. And that's the motivation behind it. If I were to ask you today, what what does tithe mean? Most of you would be able to say it means a tenth or a portion of the tenth. And that's literally what it means. But what you may not realize is that the number 10 has great significance in the Bible. It is actually the number for testing. So, anytime you see the tens in the Bible, it is related to a period of testing. For example, uh, Egypt had experienced 10 plagues before Pharaoh finally let the people go. And so Pharaoh had 10 opportunities to pass the test. And he finally passed on plague number 10. There are 10 commandments in the Bible. And those then become opportunities to pass the moral test. There are 10 examples of testing in Daniel's life, in the first chapter of Daniel. Uh, There were 10 tests with the the people in the wilderness, during the wilderness journey. In the New Testament, there are 10 virgins who need to pass the preparedness test. In Revelation 2, there's also 10 tests that are represented there. So we understand 10 to be associated all the way through the Bible with testing. Now let's make the application with regard to this area of our lives look at Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 it says will a man rob God yet you have robbed me but you say in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings you are cursed with a curse well that doesn't surprise anyone does it if you don't obey God in this area of your life that's the other option you're cursed so so you've robbed me God says even this whole nation bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord. Now here's what God's saying. Look, the whole nation of you, you're failing this test. You're failing the test. But if you will obey me in this area, I will not fail the test. I will pass the test. You can test me now in this, says the Lord. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to, to contain it. And so there, there it is. Back to Jericho, there was a man in the nation of Israel named Achan, and he just decided, look, I'm going to take some of this for myself, and so he went into a particular place, and he looted this place and filled his own pockets with some of the spoil, and God disclosed this sin that Achan had committed against his mandate, that it all belongs to me and my house, everything in Jericho, and the Bible says in Joshua 6.18 that Achan was accursed. Now, that doesn't surprise anyone, does it? He... He disobeyed God in this regard, and he was cursed, and he and his whole family were destroyed because of it. These are the two options. You can either be consecrated to God, putting first things first, and live under the blessing of God, or you can be cursed under the same power of God to curse your life. Nobody wants that. Put this statement on the screen then. There are only two things you can do with the tithe. It's only two. Either you can return it to God, or you can steal it. Now, notice I said return it to God. I didn't say you could give it to God, because if I said you give it to God, that would imply that you owned it to begin with, that you could give it. As it turns out, everyone, we don't own anything. As it turns out, you don't own a thing. God owns it all. And what God does is say, look, I want you to be stewards, not owners stewards of the resources I place at your disposal. And here's the deal, if you will give me the first part, the first fruit, the tithe, the first tenth of what I give you, and you do that by faith, I will redeem all the rest and make the, the 90% that's left over go further than the 100% would have otherwise. So it's really an amazing thing. Now there's always pushback in a moment like this, in a sermon like this, because People uh, want to assign dubious motives to guys like me who talk about this. Wow, he's just self-interest. He's just trying to, you know, fill the coffers of the church. All the church wants his money, blah, blah, blah. People start trying to find rationalizations, loopholes, and excuses for not embracing this part of their spirituality. And one of the pushbacks is that, well, you know, you're preaching out of the Old Testament when you're talking about the tithe. That's not a New Testament thing. And So you're operating out of the law, not out of grace. Hold it. Anytime the law creates one expectation, grace raises the expectation of righteousness. Let me give you an example. Jesus came along and he said, look, the, the Bible says that it's, it's wrong to murder. You shall not murder. That's one of the ten tests, right? Ten commandments. So you shall not murder. Jesus said, but I, see so he's raising the, the level of righteousness. He said, but I say you shouldn't even be angry with your brother. Not just kill him, but don't be angry with him. Matthew chapter 5. He said, the law says that you should not commit adultery, but I say that you shouldn't even look on another person with lust in your heart. So he raises the level of righteousness in the new standard of grace. Then in Matthew chapter 23, most Christians don't even know this in the Bible, Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, they were legalists. They, they made sure every T was crossed, every I was dotted. They were tithers. Oh, yes, they gave 10%. And, and they were very explicit. They're just like some, some people right now who write out a tithe check, and they write it out, $137.18. Because you wanna, want it to be right on, the, right on the money, right on the point. See, my, my thing is, why not round it up? You know, round it up. It'll be, it'll be better for you. But these guys were legalists. And so Jesus says to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocritical. Wait a minute, I thought they were paying their tithe. Yeah, as hypocrites. For you pay the tithe, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which are justice and mercy and faith. He said, look, the law says tithe, but I'm telling you, I'm raising the level of righteousness under grace. Pay your tithe. He goes on to say, these you ought to have done, pay your tithe, Without leaving the others undone, And he says, "So I'm raising I'm raising you, I, 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 I call your tithe, and I raise you, justice, mercy, and faith. The more weightier things, the more important things, the matters of the heart, I raise you." So the New Testament is not silent about this subject. It just raises the level of expectation. I love this uh, story in Second Chronicles 31. The Lord sends this command to the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites, the the priests of the day. And they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, and honey. All the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. So the mandate from God went out. Bring the tithe into the into the Levites, into the temple, so that the house of God can be can be maintained and can function. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord, and they laid them in heaps. <laughs> now watch what happened. I love this story. The mandate from God to give, to tithe, went out to the people, to the whole nation, and they began to do it. And so they, they brought in, after three months, what had happened was they brought in so that all the needs for God's house was met, and then there was extra left over, so they just started piling stuff up. Three months then pass, and Hezekiah comes through that part of town, and he looks around at all these heaps, this pile of stuff everywhere around the temple. And he calls the high priest, and he says, what's going on here? Now, Hezekiah is concerned. Now, he's misread what's happened here. He knew the mandate to give went out, and he realized the people had been giving, but now fear grips his heart because he's afraid the people now don't have enough. And so he says to the the high priest, are the people okay? You know, all this stuff has been piled up here. Do they have anything left? I mean, are they starving? Are they all right? What's become of the people? And the high priest says, you've misinterpreted this whole thing. You see, God mandated that people give, and as a result of the giving, they would be blessed, and that's exactly what they are. Listen, their crops are flourishing. Uh, All of the livestock are having babies. The the, the The cows are giving birth. The dogs are having puppies. The cats are having kittens. All the wives are pregnant. Everybody's blessed. And they've tithed off of their blessing, and now the house of God is blessed and abundantly. So we're just piling stuff up. Everybody's blessed. Now, there's a great lesson here. This passage illustrates two parallel results of tithing. Number one, it always blesses the person who gives. And number two, it always brings provision into God's house. The person who gives is blessed, and the provision of God comes to the house of God. Listen, we can only imagine what would happen to the influence of the kingdom of God if every Christian person began to obey God in this way, can only imagine, because blessing begets blessing, begets blessing, begets blessing, and the work of God moves forward. I called my dad this week. My dad is alive. He's 86 years old. His birthday was on Friday, January 6th. My birthday's today. It was announced. I have the same birthday as Elvis. That's that's my claim to fame. Elvis would be 82 today. Or put it this way: wherever Elvis is, he's 82. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I called my dad, and my dad turned 86 on January the 6th. And we were in conversation. I told him how proud I was of him. You know, at first he had to come in because he was out shoveling his neighbor's snow off, of, off his neighbor's walk. My, my dad is a physical freak. He's 86 years old. You would never guess it if you saw him. Full head of hair, all fit. Sickening. <laughs> so I told dad how proud I was of him because you know I, I can imagine that it takes a lot of courage to live to 86 I mean a person who lives to 86 they've been through some stuff right it takes some courage you know some folks just give up they don't live that long because they give up somewhere along the way so I was telling him how proud I was of him and then he, he wanted to know about our Christmas offering, because I chatted with him about that over Christmas. He said, how much did your church raise for the Christmas offering? He knew all the circumstances. I said, well, Dad, um, and this may be news to you, so I'll just announce it to you. We, uh, we raised $100,000 in the Christmas offering this year. $100,000. Someone should go, yay, that's really great. It's amazing biggest Christmas offering we have ever had before was about $45,000 and now we hit 100 dollars Of course, with our matching grant arrangement, that goes to $200,000. Do you see how things are multiplying and piling up? Isn't that great? So I said, Dad, we had a $100,000 Christmas offering. He said, so my, you know, my dad, he's trying to get his mind around that because his church isn't quite like this and so he's trying to get his brain around that. And he said, oh, you mean you got $100,000? You know, in your church, you know, at the end of the year, I said, "Yeah, just for the Christmas offering." He said, "Boy, well, you know, that means a hundred thousand for everything, you know, like the general offering and whatever was given to mission. I said, "No, Dad, that was just the Christmas offering, hundred thousand dollars." I, I, mean, I could hear his brain bending over the phone. It was, it was, it was messing with him. I said, "No, Dad, uh, we, uh, we had." amazing offerings come in at the end of the year for our general offering you know just to keep the lights on and so all of our needs for 2016 were met all of the expenses that we had at Union Chapel <laughs> were met amazing and then I said we have this faith promise thing uh, through which we fund all of our missions local and global missions and it's a big deal and people make a promise in the fall of year and then they trust God for the for that amount and I said our faith promise came in at the end of the year and exceeded what was promised for faith promise by thousands of dollars so we went way over our mission giving in 2016 by thousands of dollars and I said then we also have this capital campaign that we're doing right now and we've just finished the first of two years and after the first year we are thousands of dollars ahead of what was pledged to the reach campaign by everyone so I said, uh, in every category, Dad, we are blessed and it's piling up. And there was a long pause over the phone. And he was still thinking about people who had given so sacrificially and so generously toward the Christmas offering. That's all of you. And he said, You know, the people who gave him that Christmas offering, they are really going to be blessed. And I said, you're right, Dad. That's exactly what's going to happen. That is precisely what's going to happen. It's impossible to stop it. Moses declared, he said, thus saith the Lord, you obey me in these things, and the blessing of God will come upon you and overtake you. You can't outrun it. You can't outpace it. You cannot avoid it. You cannot miss being blessed. It's not possible. This is a very powerful thing. If every Christian would get a hold of this, it would transform your life. I promise you. If every church would get a hold of this, it would change the impact and influence of that ministry. If every Christian in the world could get a hold of this very, very powerful principle, it's very powerful world would be changed much more quickly it's an amazing amazing thing if I laid out 10 one dollar bills in front of you 10 one dollar bills and I ask you the question which one is the tithe that's an interesting question is it the one on this end Is it the one over here is it the one in the middle which dollar is the tithe which one belongs to God I'll give you the answer the answer is the one you either spend or give first. It's the first one. That's the one that belongs to God. Because from your heart, you want to make sure He is recognized first. That's where the power is. If I invited any three of you today, people that I would genuinely expect you to be responsible Maybe trustworthy. I'd get three of you, and I say to them, Look, I have a bride. Her name is Beth. Beth's about halfway through her radiation treatments right now, so keep praying for her about halfway through her radiation, and uh, we look forward to finishing that up too. She's doing okay. And I I was going to go away for several months, and Beth is my bride, just like the church is the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, the church. And we're precious to our bridegroom, our husband, Jesus. And she is precious to me. And I'm going to go away for several months, and so I have picked three of you, and I'm going to give each of you three $10,000 every month. Every month. And here's my request of you. I want you to take a 1000 of the 10,000 I give you, and I want you to send it to my wife Beth because I want there to be food in my house. I want my bride cared for. I want to make sure her needs are met. So I'm going to give you 10,000. All I request, though, is that you send 1,000 of it to her for her care. And the agreement is made. And for three months, I send $10,000 a month to each of these three people. And then I call my wife and I say, honey, tell me, are you receiving the support that I arranged? She said, well, the first person has been sending me $1,000 and has done so each of the first three months. I said, good, that was the arrangement. She said, the second person has been sending me $2,000 each month. And I thought to myself, Wow, now that person really understands what I care about. They, they get it. They get the idea that my heart is for my bride and for her well-being. They are actually loving the same things I love. I admire that. And the third person, she said, well, the first month he sent $800, and the second month he sent me $300, and the third month, he didn't send anything at all. Nothing? No, he didn't send anything. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 25:29: For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So let me tell you what I'm going to do starting in month four. The guy who's been faithful to give $1,000, i am going to keep giving him $10,000. The guy who stopped giving in support of my bride, I'm not giving him anything else. I'm withdrawing my support. I didn't get anything. And I'm taking the $10,000 that I was giving guy number three, and I recognize guy number two who's given more than expected, and I'm going to give him another $10,000. Because that's the way it works. God doesn't change. Tithe remains an extraordinary opportunity for blessing and abundance for those who have faith to trust him. It is also the foundation upon which all the other principles of God's blessing and fulfillment and satisfaction in life rest. And so it all begins with a heart commitment to honor and obey and bless the Lord with the first part, the first things of your life. He who has an let him hear. Now let's pause and pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for your word, which is so wonderful, so clear. It is so enlightening to have light in front of us like this. Thank you, God, for making obvious to us your expectations. So, Lord, now we want to confess. I'll just pray for all of us right now. Lord, we confess we're weak. We are weak. Our faith is small. We are so hesitant to trust you with these things. And yet, God, as we look back and we see your faithfulness in our lives, Lord, why do we hesitate? So fill us today with your grace. Fill us with confidence. Fill us with hope. Fill us with that trust that we need to take the next steps in this important journey in our lives. Thank you, God, for your blessing that follows. Thank you so much. We are so grateful, so thankful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your abundant provision. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, would you stand with us now as we sing?